Christ Forming the Church is Dr. Joel Hunter's series, and he continues with his eighth message in Breaking Bread. From the New American Standard, Dr. Hunter's text is taken from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it reads as follows. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. And now, let's join Dr. Joel Hunter for his eighth message, entitled, In Breaking Bread, as he continues his series, Christ Forming the Church. Those of you who have been with us for a while know that we are spending an entire year talking about relationships and, and why God is love and why he has prioritized relationships in our lives. We began the year by making a theological statement. The purpose of us being made for relationships is to reflect the image of God. Because as we believe, God is a triune God. That is, he is both plural and singular at once. And therefore, to be as close to his image as possible, he puts us into relationships which make us both plural and singular at once. The epitome of which is the marriage relationship. But we've gone on from there. And we have talked about how God has developed those relationships to his purpose. And we're at that time of the year when we are talking about his forming of the church. It is our belief that as God formed the original church, he still wants to form the continuing church. And so we have spent uh, two weeks, and we're going to spend two more weeks on one verse. And that one verse describes the four foundations of God's building of the original church. And if you want that verse, uh, you want to read the verse, it's in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I will repeat that verse for you right now. It says, And they were continually devoting themselves to... And then it lists four things. The apostles' teaching. And we said that that is... The sound doctrine. The apostles' teaching was the accurate understanding of the living and written word of God. And we said that that's still how God founds his church, upon the eternal truth. That objective truth that is not uh, up for votes. It is not um, uh, according to anybody's opinion or according to anybody's feelings. It's true for me. It's true for you. It's true for everybody. And the true church is founded upon that truth. And then we said, God raises up also not only the eternal truth, but the eternal fellowship. Because the next part of that verse is, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship. And there is that group of people who have their relationships founded upon that eternal truth. And that makes them eternally related to one another. And it makes them the image bearers of God. It makes them the salt and light of the world, the truth bearers. And now to the third part of that verse. Because it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Now just as I said last week, I don't believe that most Christians have a clue to what real New Testament koinonia is. I also believe we are losing the clue of what communion is. Because most of us have compartmentalized communion into a little ritual that we do 
Some, for some, it almost has magical overtones or, or mystical overtones that if we just take communion, that is of some value in itself. And I want to show you biblically this morning that communion in the first church was never meant to be separated from the rest of life. As a matter of fact, it was the epitome of the rest of life. It was the apex of life. And so, let us proceed. It would do us good to look at when Jesus formed the occasion for communion. It was not a new date set. Jesus, in fact, founded this new understanding of the Lord's Supper or communion upon Passover. And that's where he grounded his understanding of the memorial of his death and resurrection. That is found, incidentally, in Matthew 26, verse 17 through verse 19. It says, Now in the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? There was never a doubt in their mind that Jesus would observe this feast. And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I am to keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them. They prepared the Passover. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you think with the sacrament of this this Savior, this new era, this era of grace, this era of assurance of salvation, why do you think he did not start a new tradition? Well, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what my answer to that is anyhow. Because what he did was grounded in the history of who God had always been. Because communion is not just about us getting saved. Communion is about God being the provider for his people of whatever they need in order to do his work. Communion was the most powerful symbol to the Jews of God's certain deliverance of his people. That he would provide for them not only the food that they would need in the wilderness, but the initial escape from death. You know, Passover, for those of you who are not grounded in the background of Christianity or Judaism, Passover is that celebration of the spreading of blood over the doorpost so that when the angel of death came down to the Hebrews who were captive in Egypt, that angel of death took the firstborn of the Egyptians but passed over the houses where it saw the blood. And so there was this tradition of being saved by the blood. You can automatically make that and connect that to the Lamb of God who sheds his blood so that we might be saved, so that death might pass over us. God didn't start a new definition. He used the old one that he had been putting into place from the beginning of time. And when I say the beginning of time, I mean the beginning of time. You can go back even further to the beginning of, of the history of man into Genesis 2 and take a look at Genesis 2, 15, 16, and 17 and you will see the character of God, and the origins of communion. Read with me. It says this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. 
Now, this was not by the whim of man that man chose to become part of the garden. God sovereignly placed him in the garden. He had made him, he had appointed him, and he had given him work. He had appointed him to a work. He put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Now, what's the first thing he does after he chooses the man and after he gives him a calling on his life or a work for his life? What's the first thing he does? Read with me in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely. The first thing he does is provides for him what he needs to do his work. Gives him physical provision. That physical provision does have a limitation. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. So man can eat of any tree of the garden except one. Any tree of the garden will give him life except for one, and that will give him death. I want you to learn two things from this. One is for later. I'll just tell you this, and you can save it for later on. We have progressed from the place of everything except one tree giving us life to everything in this world except for one tree giving us death. Now the only... The only tree that can give us life is in the middle of this garden. So that is where sin and destruction has taken us in this world. But here's the other thing I want you to see that's more pertinent to our point this morning. That God provides for his people what they need to do his work. And I want you to say that in your mind over and over and over again. God provides for His people what they need to do His work. Now, does He just provide them with the physical food that they need? No, because God uses that physical food as an appetizer for a spiritual thirst. He uses the physical need that we have as a doorway to a spiritual Enlightenment or a spiritual understanding of our spiritual needs. It doesn't just do uh, uh, us good to recognize that God has provided us what we need physically, although we do need to do that, and I'll come back for this, but I want, I want you to kind of give a, get a glimpse of here what God's doing. Just because we have enough physically doesn't mean we've got what we need. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 6, verse 49, this is what good, having all your physical needs met, this is what good it does you. Quote, Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. That's it. You got everything you need physically? Fine. You're going to die. All right. Well, what did Jesus do with that? He used that in the rest of the chapter to say, The reason that God wants you to recognize your physical need and wants you to go to Him with your physical need is so that you can discover your spiritual need. Just as you will die and go to destruction if God does not provide your physical need, so you will die and go to destruction if God does not provide for you your spiritual need. As a matter of fact, he says in John chapter 6, verses 26 and 27, he says, he's looking at the crowd and he says, You seek me... Not because you saw signs. You know, miracles are fascinating to a lot of people. But they're not long term. They won't, you can't make a living out of miracles. Uh, I know some of you doubt that. 
<laughs> but Jesus was saying the thing that God will use to draw all people to himself is the physical need they have, the need for the sustenance of life. And that's what he uses next. He says, look, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. That's why you're coming to me. Because I provided your physical need. Now, look what he does with that. He says, there's a there's an understood however, or but. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures. So Jesus uses that physical sustenance to lead us to a spiritual provision. And that's what he wants us to see. Now, God knows us. He knows our heart. He knows our frame. And he knows we're not even going to be very good at remembering that he's the physical provider. That he's the provider of what we need physically. That's why at the very beginning, when he was making the laws, he made a law that said, before you partake anything, make me a thank offering. That's in, by the way, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 14. Because God said, until you have brought in the offering of your God, you shall eat neither bread nor roasted grain nor new growth. It is to be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwelling places. Why do we have boxes for offering? Why do we tell people the first part of whatever God provides for you physically ought to go to God? It's not because God needs it. He has cattle on a thousand hills. It's because we need to remember He's the provider of everything. And that's why we offer it to Him. It's recognizing His sovereignty, His provision. That's the first part. And God says, don't use what you got until you've offered me the first part of it. This is the, this is the, the, the scripture I'd use for saying grace before a meal, setting down to a simple meal and pausing to thank God. Give Him a thank offering for what you've got before you even start to eat it, because we need to recognize He's the provider. Now, we are absolutely lousy at that, because most of us will periodically recognize, especially in emergency circumstances, that God's provided what we've needed, but as time goes along, that memory fades, and we begin to believe we're the providers. As a matter of fact, God predicts that in Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says this, starting with verse 11. Beware lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. Lest when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart becomes proud. And you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God. And I think this is a proposition. You're either going to remember it your way or you're going to remember it my way. It says, But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who is giving you the power to make wealth. You know what? We have this horrible record of, of believing that we are providing for ourselves and not leaning on God and not asking God we have this horrible record. I, you know, they remember the old uh, movie Shenandoah with Jimmy Stewart. There was a part in that movie that uh, Reggie reminded us of the other day where he sits down and he's mad at God. He's sitting down to say grace over the food. 
And he says something like, Well, God, we got the grain and we planted it and we cultivated it and we pulled the weeds and we kept the animals off of it and, and we took care of them. We harvested it and we plucked it and we cooked it and we brought it in here. But I guess we're supposed to thank you for it anyway. I'm telling you, that's the grace of Deuteronomy 8. That is exactly the way we feel. We work so hard. What, God, what part does God have in this? And we begin to turn to ourselves. We begin to turn to our own devices to provide for ourselves. And that bent is so strong in us that Satan thought that when the Son of Man was tempted in the wilderness, he could go to him with that line. So Matthew chapter 4, verse 3 says this. Satan came to Jesus and he said, If you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. What was he saying to him? Don't depend on God anymore. You make your own living. Out of the work of your own two hands, you turn the stones into bread. Well, Jesus wouldn't have any part of it. Turned him right back to God. It says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. But we've not done so well. We've begun to think we can turn stones into bread. Those stones we build into financial institutions, and, and we swap our, our trade in commerce. There is an architectural parable that lives with us almost every day, and most people miss it. Hundreds of years ago, when you looked at the skyline of a city... The highest, tallest, most majestic building in, buildings in that city were the churches. You could look across the skyline and just see the spires of the churches. Especially in Europe, the great cathedrals. Would you like to guess what are the highest buildings in every city today? You look across the skyline, what do you see? Banks. Banks that dwarf the churches, big, magnificent, granite edifices. And you see these people going into them. You almost hear them whisper, I'm going to turn these stones into bread. See? We have forgotten our provider. We've turned to our own commerce. God knew that we'd do that. And God says, no, I want to pull you back. I want to pull you back because when you start depending on yourself, you become poverty-stricken. Some of you physically poverty-stricken. All of you spiritually poverty-stricken. And you are at such a loss that you won't even accept the gifts that I give you. You've got to understand, when I give my people the gift to do my work, that's what makes you rich. I heard a story one time about a an attorney that was coming out of this, one of these huge bank buildings, very successful attorney. And there was a panhandler who was on the streets of New York, and he passed this, started to pass this panhandler by, and the, and the panhandler, begging for money, couldn't stop himself. He said, Larry, and before he thought of it. And he turned around and he said, Do I know you? Ashamedly, the, the panhandler said, Yeah, it's Sam. I, I was in your class. I've made a mess of my life. Larry looked upon his wealth and felt so ashamed and so compassionate toward this poor, ragged man. 
He got out a checkbook and he wrote out a check for $2,000. He handed it to him and said, Sam, take this. I want you to start over. I want you to start over. Well, he took the check and Larry went on and Sam started to go into the bank and as he approached the bank, he got a reflection of himself in the window, saw his, his own image. And he was not shaven and he was ragged and he began to think to himself, if I go in there with this check, they're going to laugh at me. They're going to think I stole it. They'll never believe that this is my money. So he just put it in his pocket and walked away. The next day, he was working that corner again, and Larry came by, and he saw him, and he went up to him, and he said, Sam, what did you do with the money I gave you? Did you drink it? Did you, did you gamble it away? Why are you still in this kind of shape? He looked at him, and he said, well, I started to go cash this check, and he pulled it out of his pocket. He said, but I got to look at myself in the glass, and I thought if I go in there, they'll, they'll never believe this is my money. Larry looked at him and said, Sam, your appearance is not what makes that check good. My signature is what makes that check good. God would say the same thing to all of us. It doesn't matter how we look. It doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter how we're dressed. It doesn't matter the mess we've made of our lives. His signature, His gift, His provision is what makes our life of substance. We've got to understand that. We've got to understand that we're to a place right now, and I, I know, I, I'm, going to, I'm about to get off into about a four-hour sermon here, so I'm going to stop myself. <laughs> but we've, we've got to understand that we are living life at such a pace that we are literally forgetting God. We don't mean to forget God, but we're forgetting God for everything He's given us. We don't look at it anymore. We don't consider it anymore. We get a check and we go immediately to the bank. We get a meal and we immediately gobble it down or, or go ahead or drive through whatever window and, and we don't stop and say, God, you provided this. You provided it as a way for me to partake so that I could see my need spiritually also. You have done this. As I partake of this, open my eyes to recognize you. You have done this. You know... I, Becky and I went uh, on a double date the other night with our son and his girlfriend. Why does everybody laugh when I say that? The other, the other crowd laughed too. I don't understand this. Well, I understand your laughter because I'm not, I, you know, I'm a typical boring minister. I am so boring and I live a boring, you know, according to everybody, you know, everybody else's standards, I, I live a quiet, peaceful life, you know, as it says in Scripture, toward godliness and so on. But, it was her birthday, so we thought, well, we'll just, we'll just kick out the slats here and go out for the evening. And so we, we're, we never do the tourist things around, so we thought, well, we'll do one of these tourist things, you know. So we, we arranged for dinner at, the, at, this, at this place with a show that, that goes on while you're eating, you know. And, and uh, you know, it's one of those places where you make installments to, for your meal. I mean, it's just... But anyhow, so we went to this place and... And I, and, I, and I realized when I, when I walked into this place that there was going to be some entertainment while we were eating. I had no idea. No idea. I mean, I walked into this place, we walked into this place, and it was like an asylum for the hyperactive. <laughs> it was the weird... I mean, from the moment we walked through this door, people were singing and dancing and turning cartwheels and, and, and you know... 
and, and, and we went into this arena and, and, our, and, our, and we sat down at this table and we weren't facing each other, you know. And, and, and from the moment we sat down, there was noise and activity and, and, and there was contestants and people trying to win a brand new car, they kept saying. And, 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 I, and I stuck my fork in my salad and I got halfway up to my mouth and they came jumping out and said, okay, we're going to have all of you cheering sections. The orange section, let's hear you. And I'm going, uh. He said, wave your napkins, you know, I'm going, uh, you know, trying to cooperate. You know, I want to be a nice guy. I want to go along with the program here. And they had these contestants going up and they kept putting the food in front of us and every time you try and eat it, there's acrobats and there was people swinging from trapezes and there were People bouncing up. I mean, I mean, people in costumes. There was a play going on the whole time. People bouncing up and down and on bungee cords and other people shooting Nerf arrows at them and, and, and people fishing rubber alligators out of the water and, and throwing hula hoops around one another. And, and, and every time you'd say, and they're trying to win a brand new corn, you'd have to cheer again. It was weird. It was frantic. I mean, it made me a nervous wreck. I, I, I would, uh, there, you know, it just was strange. Now, I'm not trying to run the place down because some people I know work there. And I, <laughs> I don't want to run it down, but what an alien setting to me. Just very strange. If you're bored, this will juice you for about three months. <laughs> you just go ahead and go. But, but you know, I, I miss just sitting down and, 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 and thanking God and having conversation with those that He had given to us. I missed that. Uh, it was, I guess it was a fun evening. I, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember really what I ate or whether I even did. I, I don't know. But again, it was, I, it was a, a parabolic experience. It, it, it was like life. I mean, that's, the picture of how we live. Somebody, some lady last service said, you're describing my dining room when you see it. <laughs> you know, that's how we live. Well, brothers and sisters, it should not be. God wants us to take time to consider our need of Him physically and spiritually. He wants us to take time to thank Him for what He has provided, for the life that He alone can give. He wants us to depend upon Him. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Consider this formula in the Lord's Prayer. You may never have caught this before, but but look at how the words go. Give us this day our daily bread. First, God wants us to recognize our dependence upon Him for our physical welfare and ask Him for our provision physically. And forgive us our sins. Second, God wants us to recognize our absolute dependence on Him spiritually and to provide the forgiveness that we need to go on. And look at what results from that. There's a sense of shared love. There's a sense of being filled enough to give to others and love others. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. So after we receive of God's provision, then we are bound together in His nature. Before we take communion today, we thought it would be good 
just to allow you some time to speak out loud the things that you want to thank God for. I'm going to say just a brief prayer that has in it this sentence. God, I thank you for... And then, if you would, if you find one thing, one sentence, that describes some provision that God has given to you that you want to speak out loud in your prayer, loudly enough so that other people can hear, it would be a way of putting into action right now what the Bible has taught us in principle this morning. Pray with me. Father, your people come to you right now. And before we partake of this bread and wine, we want to offer you that thank offering that you described in Leviticus. Hear us now as we complete this prayer. Lord, I thank you for... We do thank you with all of these spoken prayers and all of the prayers that were waiting in line and will be spoken the rest of today. We could have been here and maybe should have been all day just speaking your praises for the wonderful provision you made for our lives. Chief among your character uh, of provision, though, is the fact that you have provided us with what we didn't even know enough to ask for. You took the initiative, God. And as we continue to worship you, we want to thank you for your initiative. In Jesus' name.